Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, Scott Egan here, President, RSVA. And uh, very different format, so if there's a few little stumbles here, it's a matter of kind of getting used to uh, all the new uh, nuances of <laughs> having a convention here. So uh, first off, I think um, we will dive right into our, our first speakers for today. And uh, we're going to hear about uh, the business enterprise program in um, Nebraska. And so with us, we've got Jim Jurak. He's the owner of uh, Jurak Enterprises. And we also have Eric Buckwalter. And uh, with that, I'll turn the uh, floor over to them. Sandy Alvarado as well. I'm sorry. So with that, I'll turn it over to those folks. Who wants to go first? I I can start if you want me to. That'd be great. Thank you for letting me join uh, virtually. Uh, It was my intention to be there in person today. Um, But uh, that uh, did not work out this week. And so uh, if the last two years has taught us anything, it's uh, to be flexible and to roll with it. So my nine-year-old loves jokes. He has a ton of joke books, uh, you know, the kind that kids bring home from the scholastic book flyer. Uh, They're horrible jokes, uh, but kids love them. So I told him, hey, buddy, I need a vending machine joke to start off my presentation. Do any of your joke books have a good joke about vending machines? Uh, Apparently, they don't. Uh, So I hit up Google and asked the same question. And apparently, vending machines are not something about which a lot of jokes exist. Uh, The most popular vending machine joke, according to my 15 minutes of research, I would not repeat to my grandmother, uh, and so I will not tell it here. So we'll go with the second most popular. (laughs) Um, Now, I do want to warn you that this is a very big lead into a joke that is, quite frankly, terrible. Uh, So please don't get too excited because you're about to be very disappointed. (laughs) What did the football coach say when the vending machine took his money and didn't give him his candy bar? Give me my quarterback. (laughs) Anyway, uh, my name is Eric Buckwater. Uh, I am the Nebraska Business Enterprise Supervisor at the Nebraska Commission for the Blind and Visually Impaired. Uh, I have worked with the Nebraska Commission for the Blind and Visually Impaired, or NCBBI, since since Nebraska Commission for the Blind and Visually Impaired is quite the mouthful. We'll just go with NCBBI. Uh, I've worked here since the fall of 2013. When I started as a vocational rehabilitation counselor working out of the Lincoln office, I transferred to the NBE role in the spring of 2020, just as the whole world shut down. Uh, I actually interviewed virtually for the position as all of us were working from home. uh, And I joked that I was going to wear my best pair of sweatpants to the interview. But it was no joke. I actually did wear my best pair of sweatpants. My professional background is in social work, nonprofit management, camping recreation, experiential education, and traditional education. Among other things, I've also driven silage truck, been a stay-at-home dad, and I have wrestled a pygmy goat. Learning the ins and outs of the Randolph Shepard program while helping vendors navigate a global pandemic that saw many of our sites temporarily shut down was a true baptism by fire. 
But now two years in, I can honestly say that it is one of the best jobs I've ever had. The mix of administrative responsibilities broken up by going out and fixing machines uh, has brought a lot of my diverse skill sets together. Coupled with helping vendors grow and succeed uh, in their businesses uh, has also been a very rewarding experience. Uh, so why here in Nebraska do we use Nebraska Business Enterprises, which we affectionately call NBE, instead of Nebraska, instead of Nebraska Business Enterprises Program? It's a really good question, um, and I, I mean that. Um, I've never really gotten a great answer as to why. Uh, basically, I was told that's what we wanted to name it. So now you know as much about that as I do. Uh, but I do like that we call it Nebraska Business Enterprises. I don't know. Uh, I think it intrigues people. I don't know what people think when they hear the words Nebraska Business Enterprises. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that what it is is not what they are thinking. And so it opens up a lot of opportunities for conversations. Currently in the NBE program, we have 13 active licensed vendors. Um, as the state, we are the state licensed agency um, or SLA um, for the Randolph Shepard Act in Nebraska. We have 92 active sites in the program with somewhere in the neighborhood of 450 machines. 56 of these sites are operated by vendors and 36 are currently subcontracted. Mostly the sites that are subcontracted are due to lack of vendors in the more rural areas of our state. We have one micro market currently. Uh, this is an area where we are looking to expand, uh, but newer concepts and ideas uh, can come somewhat slowly to the Midwest at times. Uh, and some sites we have approached uh, have yet to come on board with this concept. My uh, elected committee chair, uh, Sandy Alvarado, who you'll hear from in a few minutes, has accused me in the past of being a data nerd. Uh, and she's right. Uh, so here comes a lot of data about Nebraska BEP. Nebraska, as I've said before, is a very rural state. 56 of our 92 sites are either in Lincoln or Omaha, which are Nebraska's two largest cities, both of which are on the eastern edge of the state. Another 20 sites are spread along the length of Interstate 80, which crosses the length of Nebraska in an east-west direction. And it's our only interstate uh, in the state of Nebraska. This leaves only 16 sites that are spread across the rest of the state. 57 of the sites are in state agencies or buildings, 31 are in federal agencies or buildings, and four are in private businesses or buildings. Um, to highlight just a couple of our sites, we do the vending machines at the Nebraska Law Enforcement Training Center, uh, which holds the distinction of having our only non-food piece of equipment in our list of equipment, um, which is a pool table. Uh, and to be quite frankly, I'm not even sure if we actually charge for the use of it or not. The Stratcom building is on off at Air Force Base where we both have vending machines and a full service cafeteria. And that is Sandy's site. So I'll leave talking about Stratcom to her. Uh, we also have 13 correctional sites within the Nebraska Department of Correctional Services. We have the state office buildings um, in both Omaha and Lincoln. Um, and the Lincoln one has vending as well as a cafe that does some snack items and some catered food service. 
We also have the federal buildings in both Lincoln, Omaha, and North Platte. 53% of our vending machines are in office settings. Uh, this is a little high of a percentage compared to the industry as a whole, uh, but it makes sense for a Randolph Shepard program to have a majority of their vending services in office buildings because of the nature of the Randolph Shepard program. 22% of our machines are actually along the I-80 interstate, uh, and that leaves about 25% of our machines in other settings. 28.6% of our machines are cold beverage machines. 38.9% of our machines are ambient snack. 24% are refrigerated food. Uh, this, is, again, is a very high percentage compared to the industry average for refrigerated food, food machines. But this includes uh, the machines inside the correctional system, where a captive audience makes these machines more ideal. It also includes machines that dispense only snack items, but are in places where traditional ambient snack machines would not do well because of the temperature location. For example, uh, all of our rest area machines along I-80 are actually outside of the building, so we need refrigerated machines. So in the summer, the chocolate doesn't turn to a runny mess. 5.9% are hot beverage machines and 2.4% of our machines are frozen food. Uh, I did wanna highlight one type of machine we installed earlier this year, which we had seen good initial success. Up until now, um, all of our hot beverage machines have been freeze-dried machines. Uh, while there are some people who do love the taste of freeze-dried freeze coffee, pardon me, uh, most do find it lacking. In our state capital, uh, we installed a new Crane Cody fresh brewed machine. Uh, we then partnered with a local roaster for the coffee. Uh, it has the ability to serve a variety of different coffee drinks. Uh, it also is a 21-inch touchscreen display, which really draws people attention to it. Um, it's the first machine that you see as you enter uh, the room where the vending machines are. Uh, the response has been quite positive. In fact, sales at this coffee machine for one week either match or exceed the totals for the entire month with the previous coffee machine we had there. COVID, also known as the good, the bad, and the ugly, uh, the past two years have been an incredibly difficult one for the NBE program first and foremost for our vendors, uh, and this should probably come as no surprise. Overall, though, NBE weathered the storm in fairly decent shape. Our vendors um, are absolutely to be commended for their effort and dedication to their craft. It's with all their hard work that NBE was able to maintain, persevere, and suffer as little as we did. It's not a great secret that COVID wreaked havoc on vending across the industry regardless of Randolph Shepard programs or other vending businesses. Uh, the consumer services industry, which with the industry as a whole, with where Randolph Shepard programs fall, saw a drop in revenue nationally from about $24.4 billion in 2019 to just $13.3 billion in 2020, uh, which is a drop of about 54.5%. NBE was not immune. We fell from a gross revenue, um, all vendors combined, of about $1.1 million in 2019 uh, to around $800,000 in 2020, which is a drop of around 30%. So while we were hit hard, 
it could have been a lot worse for us here in Nebraska. In 2021, we were again around the $1.1 million mark for gross revenue. It looks like we're on track here in 2022 to be as good, if not better. Uh, we did have several factors that allow us to weather the storm in as good a shape as we did. Uh, first, uh, NBE was able to bring on 12 new sites uh, in 2020. Um, many of these were already in the works prior to COVID. Uh, this actually meant that 50% of our vendors were actually able to increase their revenue in 2020. Uh, while these gains were not as large as they could have been, it certainly did help to uh, alleviate some of the losses experienced elsewhere. And these new sites are now performing very well. In addition to the 12 new sites in 2020, uh, we brought on five new sites in 2021, and we've added two new sites so far this year. Another factor that helped in 2020 was the addition of some new vendors to replace um, some who were retiring and exiting the program. Uh, the fresh energy and new ideas these vendors brought into the program uh, helped to increase revenue at some sites, even in the midst of COVID. The third thing that helped us maintain momentum during COVID was the replacement of some of our older vending machines, um, some of which were close to 30 years old with some you know, new snazzy looking machines. Um, and anytime you put a new machine in, it always draws the in interest of customers. We were also fortunate to be able to assist our vendors with some restart funds to make up for some lost product uh, due to product that expired while, while, while sites were shut down. Last year in 2021, uh, we were able to add an additional 65 new vending machines, again, replacing a lot of old equipment. And among these machines included replacing the 20 snack machines along I-80 at all the rest areas. This influx of new machines uh, has left us with very few third-party vending machines left in our inventory. Owning our own machines has led to greater flexibility on the part of vendors to place a wider selection of higher selling products and machines, um, allowing for more customer choice. Currently, um, we only have third-party machines along the interstate and a majority of the beverage, beverage machines, pardon me, uh, inside the Stratcom building on Offutt Air Force Base. Our biggest hit during COVID came from contracted food sales. Um, at several of our sites, vendors would bring in catered food several times per week um, for employees to purchase. Uh, nationally, this segment of the market has been in decline for several years. And of course, with people working remotely, coupled with restaurants being understaffed, uh, this led us to eliminating these options. And as of today, we have not restarted catered food service at any of the buildings where it was eliminated. Uh, changes in most of the restaurant catering policies, coupled with the lack of interest from the sites themselves, have contributed to this decision. One of our greatest lifts to our program came in 2020 when we started to actively install more credit card readers on our machines. We have now almost completed the process of installing credit card readers on machines where they are allowed and where the volume of sales dictates it would be beneficial. Cashless sales at vending machines uh, pre-COVID made up approximately 50% of sales across the country. Once numbers come out post-COVID, it is expected that this number will increase even more as customers have become more comfortable with cashless sales. 
This year, we also also took the step with our credit card service provider to move all of NBE's credit card readers under a master account. Previously, each vendor had their own account with the provider. This made it difficult, even though we as an agency owned all the devices, to easily work with vendors on issues or to easily access data. For example, if a vendor was having trouble with a device or needed me to look at something on their account, I would have to get their permission to log in as them on, on their account. It also made transfers among vendors, transfer of devices, pardon me, among vendors, um, time-consuming and costly if a different vendor took over a site. Uh, with a master account, vendors are set up as different operators under one account. All of their banking information stays separate and they can only see information related to their devices. However, it allows us as an agency to see all the devices and information, um, again, without accessing their banking information. And this means that we can troubleshoot devices, help vendors build reports if they are missing information on their profit and loss statements, and a whole host of other things. One of the biggest things it allows us to do is to transfer devices from one vendor to another almost instantaneously on our end without the cost or the time delays of waiting on the provider. Uh, by far though, my most favorite thing um, is that it gives us access to our own account manager uh, who can quickly answer and take care of any issues that we're experiencing. I truly think I owe my account manager a gift basket of some time at Christmas because he's been a lifesaver and just awesome. Uh, moving forward, um, we're going to trial and hopefully implement a vending management system or VMS. Uh, for those of you who are not aware, VMS allows vendors to track sales from their vending machines, from their computer or phone. Among other things, this would allow them to know what they need to take to fill machines before leaving a location where their product is, um, thus allowing them to pre-kit products. Uh, Pre-kitting cuts down on time at machines, as well as having to potentially revisit a machine with more product later on. Less time at machines and on the road means potentially less time with a reader, driver, or employee, which can increase vendor profitability. Upcoming expansions of the NBE program include taking over the beverage contract at several of the Nebraska Department of Correctional Services sites, where we currently just have contracts for snacks and food. We are also talking with GSA about several federal sites in Lincoln and Omaha, and these new sites are scheduled to open uh, in 2023. Nebraska, like I believe a lot of other states, um, is looking for new vendors to join the program. Uh, the average age for vendors does skew closer to retirement than not. And then in the next five to 10 years, uh, we will have ample opportunity for new young vendors um, to build a significant business for themselves through the through our BEP program. In Nebraska, becoming a vendor is a relatively straightforward process. Individuals do have to have an open VR case with the agency. Uh, they express their interest to their vocational rehabilitation counselor, who then sets up a meeting with um, myself or other NBE staff. Uh, after initial eligibility is determined, NBE staff and uh, NBE staff. Um, the clients be, and the client's VR counselor will identify any areas where a person may need additional skills training, and that training will be scheduled. Uh, a client will then complete ideally two job shadow experiences where they work with a vendor for a short period of time and interview them to identify if 
the NBE program is right for them. A client will complete a three-month on-the-job training experience with a licensed vendor. And while doing this three-month on-the-job training, a client will begin to work through the Hadley courses associated with the Randolph Shepard Act, as well as work on any additional skills training they may need. Upon completion of the on-the-job training, a client will complete at minimum a 500-word essay indicating their desire to become a licensed vendor in the program. And after the essay, the client is interviewed by NBE staff and the Deputy Director of Services. Uh, once the uh, once past the interview, or once they pass the interview process, a vendor could be assigned a site if their site's available, um, or they must wait until a site does become available. And once vendors start, they are on a minimum of a three-month probationary status where their performance is evaluated. Uh, they receive additional training with the machines. Um, and at that point, they can be awarded their license. Obviously, this is just a quick outline. Um, and there can be multiple, multiple var variables that affect the timeline. NBE is currently hoping to hire a third NBE staff person in 2022. Currently, there are just two of us full-time in the program. Uh, hiring a third person will allow us to better support vendors uh, and allow us more time to work on expanding the program. Some of the things we're being able, looking forward to being able to do when we bring a third person on, uh, bring more of our machine repair in-house, um, which can save money on contracted repairs, um, as well as speed up the efficiency and timeliness of repairs. Expand efforts of NBE staff to work one-on-one -on -one with vendors on small, small business management skills uh, to increase the efficiency and profitability of their businesses. Devote more time to generating conversations with federal, state, and local agencies, as well as private businesses on bringing our services to their employees. This includes the possibility of increasing services to include more micro markets, office coffee services, office pantry services, as well as other segments of the industry. It will also help us to increase our efforts to train vendors on servicing and maintaining, machi maintaining machines, teaching best practices on making sure mach machines are clean and well-maintained. Uh, it will also help us to increase our efforts to keep and improve our vendor and SLA relationships positive by holding more formal and informal training and conversations around the state of the industry as a whole, allowing vendors to grow their business as they learn from one another. It will also allow us to improve upon the service and training documentation we, we provide to vendors. Into the future, uh, currently the SLA side of the NBE program is very comfortable with how our program sits compared to national trends of the convenience service industry data as a whole. Uh, we're also very happy with our relationship with our vendors and our elected committee of blind vendors. But there is always room for improvement and we are always looking for ways to do so. Uh, the convenience service industry uh, is growing and changing at a rapid pace. The COVID-19 pandemic has forced the industry as a whole to adapt, and we will probably never go back to the way that things were before. It is NBE's goal to change and adapt uh, as well, working with vendors to provide top-of-the-line services to, to their customers. So to conclude, um, here are a few long-term items that the NBE staff within the agency is thinking about as we move forward to whatever this new normal is. Some of those things are, how do we engage and retain customers in the digital age? 
how do we meet rising customer expectations uh, in a time of seemingly unlimited options? Uh, how do vendors build loyalty to their machines and other services they provide? Along with that, you know, society is now more connected than ever, and break rooms are no longer the captive audiences they once were. Um, what can we do to stay to stay relevant um, and to meet the needs of the customers that use our vending machines um, instead of looking elsewhere? Kind of along with that, how do we make transactions as frictionless as possible? Once a customer has experienced frictionless transactions in one place, they expect it everywhere. And by a frictionless transaction, I mean a, a transaction that is smooth if they're using um, a cashless, if they're using their credit card or the phone, it works seamlessly. Uh, it works seamlessly every time. Um, if there's an issue, it's taken care of very quickly. Um, they can get their money back quickly, those sorts of things. Uh, with the rising cost of goods, how do vendors fill their machines with as little overhead as possible? How do we engage with private sector businesses and convince them to use the services that our vendors provide? And then the last one, how do we bring young, engaged, and capable consumers into the NV program as vendors? That, uh, that concludes what I have. So I'll guess I will pass it off to Sandy or Jim. All right. Um, first of all, I want to welcome everyone to Omaha for the uh, national convention. I think out of everybody in the room, I travel the shortest dis distance, <laughs> six miles. So there you go. It was, it was a long air flight. <laughs> Luckily, my luggage did not get lost. <clears throat> anyway, um, as Eric said, um, uh, my name is Jimmy Rock, or Scott said that, I'm sorry. Uh, I little bit of background about myself before I briefly describe the, the vending experience. I have been a, I started out as a client of what was then known as the Services for the Visually Impaired, now the Nebraska Commission for the Blind, uh, since been a client since 1983, off and on. Uh, they grabbed me as a teenager, cane travel, braille skills, that sort of thing. I was mainstreamed in the public school system and graduating in 87 and then went to college here locally, University of Nebraska-Omaha, scholarship in hand and a major in broadcasting, which, gosh, I honestly wasted it. I went to college for all the wrong reasons because people told me I had to go. In my view, and I didn't want to be there. And my goal is, if you, my thought is, if you want to go to college, be in college, and it's your decision, that's fine. It didn't work out for me. I took a year off to figure out who I was, and I still haven't figured that out. Uh, and then spent from April of 89 until January of 2014 working at the Hyatt Call Center here in Omaha. After losing my job there, I, um, again, took some time off to figure out who I was. And and because telemarketing is all I knew, I applied for, to see what would happen, didn't expect anything to happen. I applied for a job at our local cable company, Cox Cable, doing tech support, which for me was a big mistake. Because if I'm not comfortable doing my own tech support and I outsource it to someone else, why am I helping somebody with theirs? Uh, 
Um, anyway, that hit me nine weeks after completing the training program at Cox Cable, nine weeks. I, I left that job, too. Uh, I was approached by our now executive director of the commission, Carlos Sagan, who suggested, Jim, he says, you ought to become a vendor. I said, yeah. He said, you ought to become a vendor. Give us some thought. Let your rehab counselor know and uh, get back to me. So I thought about it. I thought, well, you know, I'm, it's kind of along the same concept as hospitality, but it really isn't. After thinking about it, I got a hold of my rehab counselor. I said, Kim, I said, go ahead and let's set up an interview. And I mean, uh, that interview was the most relaxed interview I had. There were a total of five questions. I don't remember what they all were, but I know a couple of them was, why do you want to be a vendor? What customer service skills do you have? And again, there were three more, which I don't remember what they were. After completing that interview, Carlos looked at me and said, you're hired. I was really just like that, and I'm hired? Anyway, so I'm, one of the requirements, as Eric indicated, is the unique, at, at least at that time, when and this is back in 2018, late 17, early 18, one of the things I had to do was take an English test and a math test to determine skill level. And, of course, that was done locally on on college campus. Now, English, I had no problem with because, I, you know, that's that's easy for me. When I was going through the high school system or the Omaha public school system, I had better vision. Used a closed-circuit TV, read large or small print books that way with the, with the TV and so on and so forth. And I was used to being able to solve, write down a math problem, look at it, visualize it, and then solve the problem. Because I was taking the math test with a reader, and I have really no usable vision to do what I was used to doing, I'm trying to attempt to solve the math problems in my head, visualize it in my head. And that was one of the few times I actually left having a sinus headache. Um, any rate, I passed the, those skills, uh, passed those tests, rather, and then uh, was mentored, or job shadow, I guess, is a, the terminology we use now, uh, with an individual to see if that was something I wanted to do. It was a three-day job shadow. I like, you know, I can do this. This is easy enough. You know, you put stuff in the machine, you know, track inventory, see what you have, what you don't have. Any, who, can, who can't do that? I mean, that's, that's very basic, very simple. Um, after the job shadow was complete, obviously, given my own location um, on a trial basis, and, of course, given my license, and you know, I've been doing it since 2018. One of the things that I suppose I would suggest to those that are considering a, a career in vending, it's a lot different than corporate America. I mean, if you do things right, you're going to make some money. But don't, at least as far from my standpoint, and, and artists, you may uh, disagree with this, you're not going to get rich quick doing vending. I mean, there are some, you know, some locations you may, some, some you may not. Uh, I, as I say, I've been doing it since 2018. I've been, um, I've, it's always a good idea when you're a licensed vendor to have some help 
you know, some cited uh, help with, you know, things that obviously we can't do without. Um, one of the things that I did was to, to try to find what we call here in Nebraska reader driver. As I placed an ad in our church bulletin to see what kind of results I would get, you know, you look, it's not very many hours a week, at least for me, it's not. And some of the uh, older folks are retired, want a little extra income and that it's not that strenuous of a job to do. Folks, I was overwhelmed at the number of responses I got when I placed that ad back in 2019. Zero. Not a one. Um, luckily, I knew someone who, whose husband was looking for something to do. I brought him on board and had him sign a contract with the understanding that he understood that he was an independent contractor. He was responsible for paying his own taxes on income. And uh, that actually worked out to a degree as Terry at that time was retired from owning his own bar. As the further along the, the employment got with him, things just weren't working out. And that's nothing personal toward him. It just wasn't working out. He, seemed, he was a good worker, very efficient, very thorough. But one of the things I found out after I let him go that he wasn't doing was not looking at the use-by date on the products. And obviously, if you have items in the machine that are expired, that's really not a good practice to get into as, as far as, you know, those things are concerned. Um, one of the individuals I job shadow with over at the post office here in Omaha had an individual that worked for him who was absolutely phenomenal. She took the job seriously. She took time to understand the inner workings of the machines and probably, you know, could fix a lot of things that, you know, average folks probably couldn't. Um, so when I let Terry go, I brought Jamie on board and she worked for me for about a year until last October. She had some issues, fractured her ankle and never came back. But one of the things I learned after she was gone, I knew where nothing was in the storeroom. I knew where nothing was in the cabinet I have. I, she kind of just, she took over and as a blind vendor that's something that you should not do is not let the employees or the contract employees whatever you call them in your state not let them you know rearrange things and throw off your system so after she left the next person you're going to hear from in a minute uh came through got me back on path and things have been good to go since uh, i would strongly encourage anyone Thinking about it, getting into the program, look at it, consider it. You know, if you know a vendor, you know, call them up, send them a text, email, whatever it is. Say, hey, is it possible to, you know, walk in your shoes for a few hours to see how you do this, how you process, and how things are done? Anyone, anyone can do it if you have a passion for it. So with that, I would like to conclude my remarks and 
Turn it over to Sandy. Thank you, Jim. I, I jump on my soapbox, and he knows when I say I'm jumping on my soapbox, he needs to listen because it, you know I was the one that said, you need to organize it for you. It's hard to do a confrontation with employees and stuff like that, but it's not really a confrontation. It's a discussion. You need to make it for you, not your sighted employees or other employees. You can have either one or contracted driver readers, things like that. Uh, I am Sandy Alvarado. I am the owner of Soda Sam's <coughs> Vending. I do operate my vending facility out at Offutt Air Force Base in Stratcom. And I also have a site of a post office out West Omaha as well right now. I started in the program about 2009. My husband, Oscar, was working with another vendor at that time, and she chose to leave. So he goes, we could do this. So I'm like, okay, I'll try. And I started out very small. I had maybe four or five facilities overall. And over time, I ended up at the highest point prior to Offit. I had 15 buildings across the city of Omaha and 55 machines. And it was a route. So it was kind of nice because we, you know, I had my husband, fortunately. It was kind of nice. We'd go and they'd have a couple of machines or whatever. So it was in and out and in and out and in and out. Not any one long time at any place. Then I tried to leave the program. My husband had a stroke and we weren't sure what was going to happen. So I was like, I need to retire from this. I may need to be doing a lot of full-time care for him. I didn't know. So I, okay, here's the keywords. I tried to leave. You notice I am still the current chairperson. So that obviously did not work. Um, so then I had to do training for people that for my 15 buildings and 55 machines, they were going to try to get three people to take over my one route. Well, then Jim declined, so he didn't get any of it. So, but anyway, um, so then I started doing the training kind of like where I got to Jim. It's like, you need to do what works for you and you need to stress that and everything like that. And try to give my wisdom and experience. And I think sometimes I probably overwhelmed people because I, I like to be totally transparent and sometimes you just can't absorb all that at one time. So I've learned to try to take a little easier uh, when training people, but about, I think it might've been eight years ago. I, uh, threw my name in the hat for the uh, elected committee. And I first started out as the secretary. We kind of had uh, a lot of our vendors were aging out. They were getting older. I, for the while, was the only female in the program and definitely the only female on the committee. And so gradually they were all leaving and, you know, things were done differently then than they are now. I like to hope that I have um, brought in a little more uh, communication between us and our SLA. Uh, we throw around ideas. I talk with my vendors, uh, especially with our committee, as I always tried to tell everyone at the end of our meetings that, you know, we are your watchdog. You have an issue. You are not comfortable starting a conversation with our SLA. That's what we're for. And, you know, hopefully keep letting all of them know that we have a voice. We are a part of this. It's not just, this is what you have to do. 
we don't think something's right, then we can hold a conversation and see what else can be done. And I must say during this pandemic time, RSLA was awesome. I think we were one of the very few states that actually had growth, like Eric said, and yes, you now know why I call him a nerd data person, um, that we were able because they were already had plans in the works. They just got delayed a little bit. We were able to bring in new equipment. Just They kept thinking outside the box, and that's kind of what I like to think I do too, is I think outside the box. What's something new? For example, and this goes back to my personal with the Stratcom building. Okay, now we never want Stratcom to close. That would be very bad for our United States defense because they're the headquarters and we want them to be running all the time to help us. Although I did go from a building with 3,400 people down to about 400. Then the cafeteria wasn't open either. So I was trying to think, what can I provide for these people that are here? You know, there's sections that are manned 24-7, essential personnel. And so then I started thinking, what would fit in there? You know, I can't do sandwiches. I don't have cold food. What, what's shelf stable? What kind of things like that? So we started doing um, like Hormel complete meals that are shelf stable. They don't have to be refrigerated. So we get those, stick a fork in it. They can cook it in the microwave and they've got a meal. I still continue to do that. Then I got to thinking of the little microwave cups. If you get a big enough coil size, you can put those little microwave, like the little raviolis and things like that. So I was just trying to think of something else that could be provided just in case they get there. I'm like, oh man, I forgot to bring something to eat. And then all they have is choices in the snack machines or raid other people's food in the refrigerator, which have uh, come the weekend. I'm not so sure I'd want to do that. But um, it's helping think outside the box. Our, our SLA has worked very, Eric has so many good ideas, but because of the limitations, I hope we get this third person. There's so many good ideas he has to help with the expansion of our program here in Nebraska. And just additional training. I, I just think our conversations, you don't need to be worried about starting a conversation with our SLA. They always are willing to listen. We might not always agree, but what they have, something comes up, they, they speak with me. And if I want some other feedback, I'll contact some of my committee members. And we have a uh, kind of a message group list that I have all of our vendors in the state on. So we can ask questions in general. Like the other day we had a vendor ask, does anybody else use the square bottles of tea and how does it work for you? So, you know, they got answers from different folks that use those. Or if I need something, it's like, hey, we're coming up with this meeting. I need some information. Does anybody have any ideas on this, that, or the other thing? So it's nice for us to all be more cooperative together, as well as with our SLA. Up here in Omaha, there's about four of us, and we we share uh, orders sometimes. There's like minimum orders for your Pepsi or your Dr. Pepper or something, so you like, Hey, I'm going to place an order. Do you want anything? And then we just make a separate receipt. And that way we can reach our minimum without overstocking our facilities, which is one thing that I'm always afraid of. I'm afraid that shoe is going to fall again because I had just placed orders to 
you know, fill machines for 3,400 people. And then it's like, um, no. So uh, I'm trying to be very, plus, you know, the amount of space you have in your storerooms too. But uh, we work very well together. I think all of us licensees, um, I think one of our oldest licensees is just retired and he was like in his seventies. So we're younger than when I started, but now I'm kind of up there when I started to where I'm one of the older ones again. Um, but I don't plan to, to retire anytime soon. And as Jim said, you know, you, it, it's all good. If you have questions, I, I've been put in a, a thing saying, I, I have a new computer and I don't understand it. I need help. So I'm waiting for the uh, SLA to get me some assistance when they're able, understanding how things are different with our um, pre-pandemic and post-pandemic and all that good stuff and changes that we had to help make to our um, approved deductions and things like that on our P&Ls and even our uh, NBE staff who kind of manages all of our accounts. He's really good at answering questions. If you ask him, I've had to help a couple of different times when maybe one person's way of explaining isn't quite getting through. So then I try to take a stab at it to help my, I do say my, cause I feel like they're mine since I'm the chairperson um, vendors in the state. If there's maybe they're intimidated by the commission, maybe they're not, but if I can help and we can get a point of view across and maybe learn something in a different way, then we can get that accomplished. And that I've helped with that a few times. Um, but roughly that's, I, I take my position as the chairperson very seriously. Uh, I want to make sure everything's done fairly. And our SLA wants to definitely help all of us vendors in the state of Nebraska. So we keep on top of it, especially a lot of discussion when we had the, uh, Oh, whatever those fund letters were last year, the RR, whatever, for the funds from the uh, government that helped and how we would distribute that. That was a lot of discussions that we had. And it's it's definitely something that's active participation. And I guess on that note, unless there's, I don't think there's anything else I've missed. Just kind of my role as the, how I got up here, my role as the chairperson and our SLA, uh, I feel so disheartened when I'm on some of these phone calls and I hear how some other states SLAs are. And it's just, oh, I'm so glad I live here is unfortunately how some of it seems. But hopefully the program will be getting better and stronger all across the country and just trying to find those young people that don't think this is just filling a machine. You you have to work, you have to think, and there's things you have to do, but you know, there are ways to minimize your expenses and give you more money in your pocketbook. So by the end of the day, so thank you for your time. I appreciate y'all letting me come here and talk. Fantastic job, Jim. Uh, uh, Sandy, we, we, we thank you for that. Sandy, can I ask you a couple of questions before we turn it over to the audience for questions? Sure. Could you speak a little bit about your elected committee, how many folks you have on there and those kinds of things? Okay. For our state, we have five members. We have a chairperson, a vice chairperson, the secretary, and then just two committee members. And they are elected every other year in the odd years in the month of May, which next year will be our next time for election. 
Nobody ever seems to want to have my chairperson position, though. Um, when I first got got into that, um, and I, they wanted me to be the chairperson, and nobody wanted to be the secretary. I'm like, come on, guys, I can't do it both. Like one or the other. I need help here too. Uh, so yeah, we have five all together, and majority of the time we have we have good representation as far as I'm concerned. We have three female. Uh, vendors and then two male vendors on our committee. So I, I think we now have five female vendors across the state of Nebraska. So I'm not alone anymore. I've, I've been trying to actively recruit females when I can. So um, yeah, that's, that's what we have here. Okay. How about um, for your elections, for your folks who are going to be on the elected committee, do you pick all five of the candidates from the entire state, or do you have it broke down into regions or how does that work? We just do it straight across the state. Since so much of us are rural um, people who are interested in running for the elected committee uh, send in that they want to be put on the ballot. And then a ballot is sent out electronically. Everyone's had no problem with that. Then people would send back, you know, my first, second and third choice. And then depending on, if we have five people that, you know, unless we have two that have tied and there's, we do a runoff election if we need to for those two. But once we get all of the five members there, then we kind of have a little um, discussion. It This has been kind of questioned a couple of times and I've done this for several years. It's like we used to kind of go into like an executive session and then figure out who would do what amongst ourselves. And then last time we were told that we needed to keep it with our public meeting. So we did. I mean, we still had our discussion just amongst the ones that were elected and decided who would play what role. And then that's how it goes from there. So they elect who they want on the committee, then the committee more or less chooses who to be the chair, vice chair, secretary, (laughs) and all that. And then if we have one that leaves or is unable to fulfill their duties, then we do another election. Uh, to fill that spot if it's quite a ways out from the next time we have our elections. Great. Thank you for that. Uh, at this point, I think we'll turn turn it over to uh, our whole audience here if you have questions. My name is Sam Clausen from Iowa. Um, I used to be in the program in Iowa. Um, I My license was revoked. Long story. But... Um, do you guys, are you guys kind of custodial or are you guys, do you like hold your vendors like independent business owners? I can take that question. This is Eric. The, so for the most part, um, uh, let me let me start it this way. Uh, we do consider uh, all of our vendors to be independent business owners, independent business operators. However, in the the SLA does hold all of the contracts and does own all of the machines. So, if there was an issue um, as far as the site goes. Um, Machines weren't being well-maintained, weren't being well-stocked. There was a personality conflict 
um, between the vendor operating and the site. Um, since we do hold the contract, if we couldn't remediate it, uh, there is a chance a vendor could um, lose the ability to operate that site. But for the but for the most part, we do consider all of the vendors to be um, independent business owners. Um, I always uh, the way I describe it to people a lot of times who aren't familiar with it. Um, if this were not a, a government program, if Nebraska Business Enterprises was a for-profit company. Um, we would hold the contracts and the machines, and then we would essentially subcontract it out to another business uh, to operate the site. Hope that answers your question. Yes, yes, that does. I just there's some states that hold their vendors higher than others, and I. You guys probably are similar to Iowa, where you guys take a lot of, you know, you guys let the let the vendors, you guys train the vendors and make up upkeep their their training, but you try and um, let them make the best decision. That that would be correct. Uh, all of our vendors also sign what we call an operator agreement, which says they will do X, Y, Z, abide by certain things. Um, and so that's where the accountability comes in to uh, for the for the operation of of the site. Eric, this is Sandy. I'd like to cut in and kind of expand on what you said is that Yes, we have the agreement, as Eric said, that we we know what we have to do. The SLA knows what they have to do and certain things that need to be followed. And, you know, they we have probationary time if you need help retraining on something or if you need help with doing something so that you can still maintain your facility. They're there to help. The SLA is there to help provide that training when needed because they really don't want to just yank you out because for one, you know, we still hold that permit and that would look really bad to not have a, a licensee there, but um, just having a good relationship with SLAs and, you know, even if you're having a personal issue and you let them know they're our, our SLA is just so awesome. I can't say enough about them. Um, they will truly understand, but they don't understand if they don't know. So some things, it can sometimes be hard to share your information that you need to, but it's part of the program. Your business information, financial and otherwise, is it's a program. You have to provide that information, but not in Nebraska. We are not without support. Good morning. Um, this is Dora Martinez from Reno, Nevada. Just a quick question. Do I think uh, Mr. Eric? Um, do you in Nebraska for the band program, um, are, are people who receive book, uh, you know, the, the services and, and want to do the band program, do they need to be a U.S. citizen or legal, legal resident of the state? Because here in Nevada, they, um, that's what they gotta be, a U.S. citizen. So I'm wondering if you guys have the same thing. Thank you. 
you do have to be in the country legally. I would have to go back and look at what exactly our documents say as to whether you have to be a U.S. citizen or just here. Oh, and I just, uh, our deputy director is listening in and she just sent me a text that said, yes, you do have to be a U.S. citizen. Commander, I'm from Fort Worth, Texas, and I'm interested on if you ever have a venture, if y'all if get venture machines in, how do you transport them to your company? I mean, do you have any sort of transportation, like a U-Haul or something to get them to where, you're, where they're going or something? I can take that one again. Um, each of our vendors, uh, since they do own and operate their own business, are responsible for arranging their own uh, transportation, um, whether that be for themselves or for products. Uh, quite a few of our vendors um, are large enough that they are able to have uh, products delivered directly to their site. So. Uh, even if they have uh, multiple uh, smaller sites, they do tend to work out of one site, box up product, and usually a uh, car, um, sometimes an SUV or minivan uh, is fine for transporting products to site. Uh, but as an agency, aside from initial setup of product where we will provide the product for the initial stock of the machine, we do not provide transportation um, for the vendors or uh, for their product. All right. <laughs> well, Jim, Sandy, um, we want to thank both of you for your uh, excellent presentation here. Uh, we do have Eric coming back for the next one, but uh, we, we do want to thank both of you for um, enlightening us about Nebraska. It's been uh, very fascinating and uh, I've definitely enjoyed learning a little more about uh, your state here. So thank you.